Welcome back to the Tech Leaders Talk podcast, where experts and leaders in the wide world of IT discuss the industry and hard-earned career wisdom with your host, Barry Newkirk. Today's guest is Keith Werner. Keith was appointed as the Vice President for Information Technology and Chief Information Officer for the UNC System Office in 2018. Prior to his position at the UNC System Office, Keith worked for Ernst & Young as its public sector leader for North Carolina and South Carolina. Keith also served as the state chief information officer and first cabinet secretary for the North Carolina Department of Information Technology. He has also held leadership roles as the deputy state CIO and the CIO for the North Carolina Department of Environmental Quality, North Carolina Department of Commerce, and North Carolina Department of Natural and Cultural Resources. Let's dive into this conversation with Keith Werner. Keith, welcome to our podcast today. Yeah, thank you, Barry. Great to see you again. Good to see you. Good to see you. So uh, we're just going to jump right in. Keith, you and I have known each other for a long time. In fact, I don't know if you know this, but August is our friendship anniversary. Did you know that? I did not know that. And I'd be scared to ask you how many years this is. It's only 22. It's only 22. So, you know. That sounds sounds right. So we're going to talk about your early life. Um, so tell us kind of where you grew up, how you grew up. Tell us about your family uh, up through maybe high school. How about that? Sure. Sounds good. Yeah, I was uh, born and raised in Dallas, Texas. And I was blessed to have two really great supportive parents. Um, so I grew up in Dallas, like I mentioned, uh, playing baseball, playing sports, being active, um, active in our church. and you know, I was, uh, like I said, I was really blessed to have a really good, healthy childhood. And I think, you know, a lot of lessons learned from my dad, watching him be a professional and my mom and just their work ethic. Um, so I think they just set some really good examples for me when I was growing up. Uh, but I, going all the way up through high school, I went to Arl Turner High School, played baseball, really enjoyed uh, kind of my childhood and trying to figure out what the heck I was going to do with my life. But, you know, that was, that was the eighties for you. <laughs> what was your uh, position on the baseball team? Uh, a very poor pitcher. Um, <laughs> I, I have two boys that are so much better baseball players than I am, or I was. Um, so yeah, looking back, I would say a average at best pitcher. Let's say that. All right. So uh, I grew up playing baseball, too. I think that was the 70s and the 80s um, thing, at least the way I grew up in South Carolina. So what was your go to pitch? Curveball certainly wasn't my fastball. Um, Yeah, if I had a fastball, I may may have been able to do something. But, you know, know, when you're topping out at like 80, you know, there's not a lot of uh, not a lot of call for for guys that are 5'11 throwing 80 miles an hour. (laughs) <laughs> Although, you know, curveball as a ninth grader, that's, that's saying something. That's a hard yeah. pitch to, you know, that's good. Um, well, you talked about your parents and you learned a lot of lessons from them. So let's explore that. Uh, mm-hmm. Did you have are you only child? You have siblings? Tell oh, us yeah. about your family. life. So only child. Uh, my dad was an installation supervisor for uh, what eventually became Lucent Technologies, uh, but he worked... Uh, under the banner of Western Electric for uh, 36 years, I believe, in total. So he had wow. multiple offices throughout the Dallas-Fort Worth area that he was responsible for, uh, two shifts. So he had a night shift and a day shift. So watching him get up at 
three o'clock in the morning to check on his night shift out the door by five o'clock to catch them as they were leaving their night shift and, and talk to the incoming day shift. You know, I mean, I, I rarely remember dad even being there when I woke up in the morning, you know, that's how early he was up and gone. Um, my mom was an executive assistant uh, for the CFO of Cigna for several years, probably upwards of 15 or 16 years. So um, she was the master word processor before that was probably even a known thing. Um, but she she was fantastic. So I, I got a really good balance with my parents. My dad was really good, as you can imagine, being more or less an engineer of you know, math and science. My mom was really good with, uh, you know, the English and grammar side of things. So, you know, I always had good tutors in my house as I was going through my early education. Well, that's, you know, I, I am not an only child, but I <clears throat> often wonder, is that a blessing or a curse? Cause you can't escape. You can't blame it on your brother or your sister. I was really good about blaming stuff on my little brother. Mm. Uh, yeah, I didn't never had that luxury. So I guess I could blame it on the dog, but that rarely worked. And no, I was, um, you know, I, I get that question a lot about, you know, would you like to have had siblings? Mm. I, I didn't know any different. Right. So it was perfectly fine with me. So you left high school and you, uh, went to North Texas uh, or you went to community college beforehand, right? Yeah, I, I was actually it's a bit of a journey getting to North Texas. Um, I went to Tyler Junior College, where my both my parents went, and where my grandparents lived. Um, so I was able to uh, kind of help my grandfather on his farm a little bit while I was going to college, and uh, spent my first couple of years going the junior college route, and then then I launched over to the University of North Texas. Um, yeah, little little story there. I went to college thinking I was going to be an accountant, uh, largely because mm. my dad thought I would be a really good accountant. And then I took my first accounting class and I realized that maybe I shouldn't be a, an accountant. Um, so <laughs> so I was a bit of a journey trying to figure out really what I wanted to study and be. You know, I knew I wanted to be professional. I wanted to be in business, um, but I really didn't know what form that was necessarily going to take. And little did I know that it was going to be a heck of a journey, um, even starting in college. So why did you, uh, so one of the things we want to draw out in conversations like this, Keith, that we're having with tech leaders from across the country is decisions that you made, what influenced those decisions, um, mm -hmm. you know, past that you took. So, um, did you go to Tyler Junior College because your parents um, went there and because your grandfather was close or was that an independent decision? I'm just curious about when you were selecting what's my next higher education endeavor, what what led into that? Yeah, it was it was largely because I could spend some time with my grandparents um, more directly. You know, it would I would go over and have lunch with them three or four times a week and help oh. my grandfather on the farm. Uh, when I was available. So it was, it was a lot of fun. So that largely um, kind of fed into why I went to Tyler. I don't know if my parents going there really had a big influence on it as much as my opportunity to spend some good quality time with my, my grandparents. You know, I wish I could say that I had this great plan and it was so well thought out. I, I really didn't, you know, I was young and dumb and I thought, look, this, this seems like a good opportunity to spend time with my grandparents. 
it's probably a more affordable route uh, for for you know at least getting the kind of prerequisite courses out of the way. Um, mm-hmm. It would be cost effective for my parents, and then they're gonna. I knew they would transfer to kind of my university of choice when I was done. So it was, uh, yeah, I wish it was some drawn out, you know, huge decision for me, but it really wasn't. It was, you know, I had decent grades in high school, not outstanding. This seems like a good option for me. So let's go with that. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, when you talk about your folks earlier, it sounds like they instilled a lot of practicality and pragmatism in you. Um, and haven't known you for a while. I think that's probably the case. So that seems like that, uh, might've influenced that decision. Um, yeah, All right, we'll go with that. I think that, that, that sounds like a really good answer, Barry. And at North Texas, you graduated personnel and industrial relations. So tell me about that. Yeah. I mentioned earlier that I really wanted to be in a professional environment. So I took a uh, psychology class and I remember the psychology professor saying that, you know, if you want a really good uh, mix between psychology and business, HR is a really good profession. And Hmm. I really like psychology. I really like business. Uh, Kind of this combination of the two sounded really intriguing to me. So I kind of ran with it. Um, So I went kind of the industrial relations collective bargaining route. I was really kind of excited about being in um, the human resources field. Mm. Uh, Then, you know, I kind of graduated, you know, in late 92, trying to figure out, okay, now what does that mean? Right. Right. I kind of graduated when jobs weren't as easy to come by. So that's kind of what launched me into recruiting. So I ended up, leveraging my degree to get my first opportunity because it is a, obviously it's a, uh, a portion of human resources. You left North Texas and, uh, what was your first job out of college? First job was with a co- company called Cutler Williams. And Barry, you'll remember the, the legacy of Cutler Williams as we kind of go through this, this story. But, um, uh, I started as a recruiting assistant, uh, to a guy named Mark Wilson and, uh, wow. Mark was Mark was great. I ended up working for Mark for uh, near about twelve years, I believe. Um, Mark was a great mentor, great instructor. Um, but literally, this is before really email and really good databases. Frankly, so going to job fairs, um, sorting through resumes, trying to place uh, individual uh, consultants and in, and in opportunities. And I will note that this was specific to public sector. So I was, I was really fortunate that I landed in a spot that uh, turned out to be of a big interest and something I ended up leveraging throughout my entire career in that I was right out of the gate working with state government clients and something that I was, I found that I, I really enjoyed. And you can probably see that throughout my career at this point. So that was, so started out as the recruiting assistant. Um, after about six months, they said, hey, you're doing okay. Uh, we have this opening for a recruiter in Tallahassee, Florida. So, you know, I packed up my little U-Haul and, and drove out to Tallahassee, spent a few months uh, in Tallahassee as a recruiter there. And the aforementioned Mark Wilson 
was asked to go start an office in Raleigh, North Carolina, open a new office. And he asked if I wanted to come and be his recruiter. So one short blip that I wasn't reporting to Mark, but that was overcome pretty quickly. And that was, uh, wow, like late 93, early 94. So, wow. and from there, it just kind of, you know, like I said, Mark was a really good leader. He had a really good strategy on how to open the office. We had some great anchor accounts uh, with the state and Nortel at the time. And, you know, Mark just did a really good job of building up his team, um, you know, setting really good expectations, hiring really good, talented people and freeing them up to do their jobs. And he was he was the master at it. Still have a lot of respect and, and frankly, a great friendship with Mark to this day. So I didn't know until you just told that story that you guys basically started the Raleigh office of what mm-hmm. was, was it still Cutler Williams when you went to mm-hmm. Raleigh? It was. And- I If you ask me timeframes on when we started changing names, I'm going to be at a loss. I, I think. Oh, so, but I do know that there was a line uh, for everybody listening here that maybe they can reference some of these names, but we were purchased by Comsys at some point, And then I think that was acquired by PSINet. And then they rebranded as Comsys again. And then Cyber or C-I-V-E-R purchased us. So there, it was a, with my 12 years with that initial Cutler Williams firm, we changed names. I, I used to have a collection of business cards with all of those transitions. I, 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 I probably should have kept them. It would have been a... <laughs> Uh, an yeah. interesting graphic. Yeah. What, uh, what Metamore in there somewhere? Metamore was in there. That's right. I think that was, wasn't that after the PSI net? I think it was. Yeah. Yeah. Cause when I got hired in 2000, uh, I was PSI net, but <laughs> I think I came to you one time cause Keith was my boss and I came in one time and I said, I can't keep switching these business cards. So on my expense report, I went to Kinko's and got my own business cards and just said, Barry Newkirk, IT consultant or something. I swear to God. And because uh, every two months I get new, Barry, you can't use those business cards every two months. And I was like, no, I ain't doing this. I ain't doing this. And uh, totally I, true. I, I, re- I remember, I re- I've got several Barry stories. That is one that I do remember. And so eventually you rose to um, vice president, area director, um, public sector business development. Tell us about the transition. I know you started as a um, uh, recruiting assistant, you went up to recruiter. Mm-hmm. Tell us about moving into leadership. That's something yeah. that would be very important to our listeners. Yeah, it was. Let me step back. Recruiting was a really good learning environment for me, right? I was not uh, a, really a, an IT guy. You know, I wasn't, didn't come out of school as a, you know, network guy or a coder or database guy. I really was kind of a, a novice when it came to IT. And, and I certainly didn't understand all the nomenclature and acronyms that were thrown at us back in the day. There was a lot of uh, mainframe acronyms, as you will recall, Barry. Um, mm-hmm. So it, that really gave me a really good basis of trying to figure out how all of these technologies fit together. What did they do? What were these uh, consultants doing? You know, working with clients to figure out what they needed done and gathering requirements and 
and mm -hmm. frankly, meeting customer expectations. So, sure. so recruiting was a really good kind of foundational element of my career. Um, but I was able to um, kind of move from recruiting into sales. So again, sales uh, supporting the state of North Carolina. And then I think I took on South Carolina, the state of South Carolina. And mm -hmm. then I moved into more of a sales management role. Um, and that's when I believe you and I connected, connected is when I, when I was initially moving into that role. And I had a lot mm -hmm. to learn. I mean, I had really good examples, great mentors throughout the process, you know, Mark being one, I had others that were certainly integral throughout my early career. Um, but I, you still have to live it and learn it. Right. And mm -hmm. I think leadership is, is certainly in that realm. So I, I, I stepped into kind of the sales management role and enjoyed it. And I was, uh, I think we were doing pretty well. And Mark was certainly doing really well and was a star. And they asked him to go to Dallas, where he was from, to run that office. Yeah. And so we had some transitions there, ended up taking on more of a VP of business development role. And then that led to some practice leadership. I ran a transportation practice for a while, um, more so on the motor vehicle side, motor vehicle applications. Um, and then they asked me to run the office for a while and then they moved me to Chicago because I, I had worked in this, you know, merging a bunch of offices together. This is that period of, you know, mergers and acquisitions were happening every minute. And of course, yep. the name changes as you referenced before. Um, so I got some of that experience in Raleigh. They wanted to leverage that experience in Chicago. So I went there, went to Chicago for a little while, uh, running that office as the VP and uh, let's just say I was ready to move back into, you know, to Raleigh and my family was anxious to move back. So kind of took a step back and, uh, took on more of a business development role here in Raleigh and then, you know, started to make a few changes, you know, throughout my career, you know, after spending 12 years with one firm, uh, not that I was getting antsy or was unhappy, but I think I was ready for a change. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, and I think a lot of people reach that point and I do want to explore that. Um, so you're with <clears throat> that group and Mark primarily for the first 12 years. Um, did you, was it more of a gut, Hey, I just need a change or was there some specific, uh, waypoint to say, Hey, I gotta, I gotta make a move here. I'm stagnant. I think it was a little bit of stagnant. Um, but yeah, you know, I think the culture had changed. You know, frankly, mm -hmm. you know, sure. I, I, uh, the public sector group at uh, you know the former Cutler Williams, whatever we were at the time, was uh, was helmed by a guy named Ed Burns, and Ed was Barry, as you'll recall, was just uh, a one of a kind, uh, yep. just great relationship builder, just empowering, great supporter, and just ran a fantastic business unit. And, you know, his role didn't seem to quite be the same. The organization that we were working for, you know, after all those changes didn't quite seem to be the same. Right. And, you know, my role in it didn't quite seem to be the same. So I think that's kind of what prompted me. I don't, I think at the time trying to go back in my memory, I don't, 
believe I was necessarily looking for anything, but an mm-hmm. opportunity came my way and it happened to be with Gartner. And that's wh- that's when I made the switch to, to be more on the, the sales for a, a research and advisory firm. Interestingly, you know, I think this whole consulting world is, you know, we know each other, right? Especially when you're doing like one client, you know, we're competing for the same business, but we all know each other. So I think the Gartner thing came to me that um, Gartner had reached out to one of my competitors and he's like, I'm not that interested, but um, you know, you got to talk to Keith, you know, he may have some good referrals for you, or maybe he might be interested. And uh, of course that led one, one thing led to another and I ended up uh, interviewing and accepting that opportunity. So it was, it was different, unique, you know, wasn't in that, uh, you know, typical, uh, consulting realm, you know, like we were so accustomed to Barry. Mm-hmm. So you know, just a little bit of a new challenge for me. Hmm. And you were there, um, a little over a year. Um, mm-hmm. and then you went to L1 identity. Yeah, that was, I, I enjoyed my time at Gartner. Uh, I had a really weird geography at the time. Gartner is a fantastic firm. Everybody's still familiar with Gartner. Uh, sure. I got a call. This is one of these, you know, recruiting calls uh, from somebody that I'd worked with at, at Cyber, saying, "Hey, I went to work here. It's a great environment. Um, would you would you talk to their leadership? You know, maybe a good opportunity for you." I was like, "Yeah, sure. Why not?" Um, and this is more on the product side. So if you think about, it, I went from consulting to uh, kind of the research and advisory side to the product side. Um, and L1, and I don't know who, what their name is now, but they design and manufacture driver's licenses and, and all the back-end technology. You know. So it was, it was interesting. It was fascinating. And I mentioned earlier that I run a transportation practice for a period of time mm-hmm. when I was at Cyber. So I'd, I'd gotten pretty familiar with motor vehicle systems. And so you know, it was a good match for me and my background. And mm-hmm. I was kind of excited on the kind of the product side to see what that looked like. And did you have nationwide responsibility, Keith, at L1 or was that a region of the country or how did that break out? It was, it was regional. Um, so I was kind of southeast over to Texas, minus a couple of states. You know, all of these firms have weird geographies. They, they don't always make sense. But I think there was some pre-existing yeah. relationships with a couple like in Alabama, Mississippi, I believe. But mm-hmm. I had Texas and Louisiana and then kind of skip a couple of states. I did not have Florida, had Georgia, North Carolina, South Carolina. Mm-hmm. So, um, so I'm going to press on a point here before we go to the next one. So you had been in leadership at cyber in various capacities. You went back into a business development role at Gartner, you were an accounting senior account executive and I won your regional director. Did you miss leadership? I did. I did. I think uh, I've always enjoyed kind of the the management and leadership of people side of things, you know, but you know, also wanted to continue to expand, right? I mean, so at Cybred, I had an opportunity to kind of get into more uh, delivery of services and I, almost project management you know, level things, as you know, Barry, when, when you're developing teams and, and 
having a team of consultants on a client site, you become the kind of the de facto project manager. So, so I, I like that, and I wanted to leverage more of that. So, on the Gartner side, it was, you know, it was a good opportunity to learn. I mean, they're, you know, they're a research and advisory firm, right? So, the knowledge that you get from just being in that environment and working with their analysts and the analyst calls with customers was just fascinating to me. Just being a part of those conversations, mm-hmm. then. On the product side, I think that kind of went back into more of the because uh, your regional director is business development. You do have you know expectations in terms of revenue, but you're also leading projects, right? So, mm-hmm. so the common thread through that was I may not have had direct leadership or management responsibilities. I had direct leadership. I did not have direct management responsibilities. However. Right. I was still leading teams. So I think that kind of pacified my my desire to, to kind of work within that team structure. Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. Um, and then you jumped from L1 in uh, 2010 to Kelly for a short period of time. Yeah. So some changes with L1. Um, you know, I found myself looking for a new opportunity. And mm-hmm. so I had spent a few months looking for kind of that next opportunity, but pretty quickly after that, I got a call from one of my old clients and I know this has kind of launched kind of the next phase or, or chapters of my career, mm-hmm. but I got a call from, I mentioned before, one of my primary clients for a whole bunch of years with the state of North Carolina. I got mm-hmm. a call from the CIO at our environmental agency here in North Carolina, a gentleman named Randy Moody. Um, saying, hey, I've got this opportunity under contract to um, to look at all of our chargeback models, internal chargeback models, all of our infrastructure models. You know, the state's potentially looking at outsourcing some of these. So, you know, we need somebody to provide that information to the state. So being the conduit and then helping with some strategic planning and some other things. And I'm like, that sounds very interesting to me. Yeah, you know, it, it it was such a departure from, you know, we've always seen it from the other side. I had never really kind of done it directly from the inside. And I was excited about that. And Randy was one of the first people, I think, that saw that I could take my background and transition that into more of an operational IT role. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and so I was I was very fortunate to have him. um not only recognize that, but support me in doing that. And then, then position me for when he got a position created as a deputy CIO, I was able to successfully interview for that. So that's kind of what got me into this, the other side of the public sector realm, which is actually working for the state. Yeah. So would you say that he kind of ushered you onto the other side of the table as a day-to-day government employee, for lack of a better term? No doubt. No doubt. Yeah. Yeah, That's he was he was, uh, you know, nearing the end of his career. And but I think I think he may have seen some things in me that maybe I didn't even see. Yeah. So mm-hmm. and how some of my skills and background could actually be leveraged in roles like that. You know, how often do we really get a chance to think that way and how often do somebody in your your career progression actually does that? 
more than we think, more than we think. And, you know, I, I certainly want to recognize and appreciate how much Randy did for my career. You became IT director and then CIO. Is that correct? Yeah. So Randy did end up retiring pretty shortly after I was named deputy. And that was during an administration change. So we got a new state CIO as well. And um, so I moved into the CIO role working directly for the secretary and, you know, really excited about the new opportunity and did that for quite a while and also provided an opportunity for me to really get to know the new state CIO. I didn't know him at all. Uh, A gentleman named Chris Estes and Chris turned out to be another really important character in my career for sure. And another that, uh, in a long line of great mentors, he was certainly one. Mm. Yeah. We've, uh, we had the opportunity and the great fortune to interview Chris a few weeks back. So, um, right before this, so he was a great, great interview. And so I, uh, stay in touch with Chris pretty good. He's a heck of a reputation, uh, for sure. So yeah, mm-hmm. that's awesome. So you were at, uh, environmental natural resources. Is that the same building where the, um, you had that cool center. I can't remember the yeah. name of the center. So it's called the innovation center. Innovation um, center. Yeah. So Chris came in with the thought of, of developing an innovation center. So we, we were in a new building uh, called Green Square in downtown Raleigh. And we worked with the secretary to segment some space in that building to offer Chris, you know, that space that he was looking for uh, to create this, you know, this innovation center. And of course, Chris ended up winning multiple awards for the concept. And, you know, he was, he's a great thought leader and he did so many great things for the state. That's awesome. So when you were a CIO at uh, environmental natural resources, your uh, acronym is Diener. Is that right? Yeah. So at the time it was Diener. And then of course they sectioned off the cultural resources parts, you know, like parks and, uh, you know, the zoo and the aquariums to the Department of Cultural uh, and Natural Resources, I believe it's called now. So it is now called just Department of Environmental Quality, DEQ. Okay. And how many folks, just give our listeners a, some sense of how many folks did you, um, were in your group and kind of what were the budgets and some of the major projects there just to give them some mental picture of that? Sure. So it uh, seems like I had over 100 folks, probably like 110 folks on the IT staff. Uh, We did consolidate um, all of the kind of IT components and centralize that while I was there. That was uh, kind of a big lift um, because it was sectioned off to all the kind of primary uh, business units. Mm -hmm. So a little cleanup. I think we provided some governance and some strategy as to how we went about our projects how we prioritized our projects, um, but really instilled customer service. You know, I think that was one of the things when we stepped into the role, we were getting beat up quite a bit was just the day-to-day support, Mm -hmm. uh, technical support. So we really shored that up. I made a couple of key hires that were really important to that environment to make sure that we were covering off, we were reporting. We had good metrics and surveys of how we were performing. And, you know, it's something that hopefully is still continuing there, but I was really proud of, 
you know, how we kind of changed the paradigm there and elevated IT, right? So, and I think a big part of that, and I credit the secretary, Secretary Scavarla, and allowing me to be on at the leadership table, reporting directly to him. He understood the strategic value of IT and, and promoted it and supported it. And so that, I think that went a long way as well. That's awesome. And then from, um, from there, you jumped into um, the North Carolina Department of IT as a deputy state CIO. Is that correct? Yeah, I'll step back a little bit. So yeah. I said, Chris, uh, Chris was kind of a visionary and not kind of, he is a visionary and he, he calls and he says, I want you to take on some additional responsibility. So, so he ended up uh, giving me more than just DEQ as a, a direct CIO uh, role. So I ended up taking on uh, the cultural resources department and taking on commerce. I already had the governor's office and lieutenant governor's office. So he, he had kind of created this, this newer role for me to be a multi-agency CIO. Mm-hmm. Um, and Chris, uh, along with Randy, was another that I thought, in my career that really kind of recognized my background because Chris and I have similar backgrounds, actually um, how the, how those skills could transition into great, even, even greater and bigger things. Mm. And he was, and tremendously supportive. So yeah, he, he set forth a really good strategy for the state. I was, I was more than honored to be a part of it. Yeah. Yeah, he he talked a little bit about that in our uh, interview of a few weeks ago. It was really fascinating, and you could tell how much energy and passion he has around oh, that. So. Yeah, in- incredible. Yeah, so so I did that for a while, and then uh, he had a deputy uh, state CIO position open up and mm-hmm. over procurement and EPMO and a few other areas. Uh, so I ended up working for Chris for like two or three months as his deputy, and. Then he calls me in his office right before Thanksgiving one year, and he says, uh, I'm resigning. Uh, I have uh, offered your name as the interim state CIO. Congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> so no designs on ever being the state CIO. No designs on that being a part of my journey. Um, but, you know, I think, again, Chris was a great supporter of mine. And uh, like I said about Mark earlier, he's still a great friend of mine. You know, I, I wonder, uh, in hearing you talk about some of these stops, which I've, you know, you, you and I've interacted a number of years in various places that you, we both been kind of, um, have you ever applied for a job? I mean, it seems like everybody's just calling you. Hey, Keith, I got this gig for you. Hey, Keith, I got uh, this gig for you. Hey, Keith, I got this gig for you. Yeah, let's see. Uh, yes. <laughs> um, so I did have to apply for the deputy CIO position at Diener. Um, yeah, you know, that was, it was a competitive uh, hire. Sure. Uh, but in the state of North Carolina, there are, you know, policy exempt positions that you can appoint. And sure. so I have been fortunate that most of these stops have been policy exempt that I could be placed in without an interview process. Uh, but the last is my current position at the UNC system office. That was a outside search firm. Uh, There's no, yeah. certainly no guarantees that I would, I would get the job went through the process, uh, just like everybody else. And, um, yeah, that was, that was a real interview process. I, I think where you and I are similar is that we 
both value those relationships, appreciate those relationships, but they're genuine. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, I, I'm not, I'm not putting on any fronts. I, I enjoy interacting with people. Yeah. Yeah. Well, authenticity is a big word for me and that's a thing that I just carry through. And, um, I was having a conversation with somebody yesterday and said, you, you just, you just authentic, Barry, good, mm -hmm. bad, and ugly. He said, raw, raw and unfinished. You're just authentic. And I'm like, well, that's what I want to be. So I'm cool with that. So. Yeah. Yeah. I remember when I was a state CIO, I, I attended a meeting with the lady that was covering off on our consolidation. Right. Mm -hmm. So she was a program manager and we had to speak and then came out of there and she's like, I figured it out. I'm like, what did you figure out? And she said, what your superpower is. I was like, I have a superpower. I can't wait to hear what this is. This, this may not be good. <laughs> and she said, she said, you're genuine. And mm. that was probably the best compliment that I've ever received from anybody. And, but it also means a lot to me because that's, I don't do anything for the sake of doing it. I, I really do want to be genuine. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So let's go back. Um, you were at um, state CIO. Uh, and before you went to your current job, you were at Ernst & Young. EY. Correct. So tell us about that. Yeah. So, you know, especially once you become a secretary of a department and state CIO, you're at the mercy of politics and election cycles. Mm -hmm. So our admission, administration changed after I'd been the state CIO, just frankly, just over a year. Um, right. So I, I worked for about a month under the new administration. And, uh, you know, that's when you get the, you know, that, that call that says, uh, your services are, are no longer needed. And I had been talking with EY for a while, you know, highly respected firm. Um, mm -hmm. I really enjoyed their people. It just seemed like a nice transition. So, I, so I had interviewed with them, you know, suspecting that I was going to be transitioned out. And so, you know, the handwriting was on the wall. So I, I teed that up. So I was able to start with EY about a week after I left uh, the state and, you know, really good firm and, and working with the state of North Carolina and working cybersecurity related uh, things. I th I, it was a really good opportunity. Yeah. But in the back of my mind, I had this, I really kind of miss this operational thing. There's, there's still things that I want to do. I want to accomplish and I want to lead, um, you know, is there a logical next step? And I started hearing whispers that there may be this UNC system office CIO position open back up. And, you know, the more I looked at it, the more I talked to a few folks that I knew, it seemed kind of not tailor made for me, but it's something that I would enjoy, meaning that, mm. you know, working with the campus CIOs, working with our board, developing policies, working within a governance structure, those are the things that I really enjoy doing, right? And as well as leading a team and, and you know, covering off on operational details. But it's back to those relationships that we were talking about, Barry. It's, I enjoy that interaction with the university CIOs and working collaboratively to get things done. Um, mm -hmm. Now, it was a new and different environment. Higher ed is extremely different than public sector. Sure. Um, and the role that Chris and I had as state CIO is certainly more command and control. Higher education mm -hmm. is more collaborative, you know, governance. Um, but the, that's okay. You can still you can still get things accomplished. But it was a learning curve for me. You started there in early 2018. 
uh, at the UNC system office. And then two years later, our friend COVID uh, came calling. And I know that's been talked to death and I get all that, but I, I still think it's interesting, particularly from your perspective. How did you guys handle all that with all the colleges? And I mean, you're talking hundreds of thousands of students, I'm assuming, and thousands upon thousands of staff and faculty and all that. Yeah, I think, uh, I think by and large, all the universities did it well. Now, I will say for the record, all the universities run pretty independently. You know, they're mm -hmm. architected differently, they run independently, and we provide some oversight. Yeah, so my perspective is more that, you know, the system office itself, and then I've, I've been serving as the interim for the North Carolina School of Science and Math, which is a residential high school, mm -hmm. as their interim CIO for the last two and a half years. So I started right before COVID started. So that was probably my best perspective. But I think what I've heard most was we were a lot more ready than we thought we were. Um, or would have even predicted. Uh, mm -hmm. We managed, we improved. Um, but I think the biggest outcome that I hear pretty consistently is it has raised the value of IT discussion with all the Absolutely. institutions. And I think now, you know, leadership sees how integral IT is, can be, should be. And mm -hmm. I think that is continued to carry through. I certainly see it as school of science and math. You know, I mean, it was, it was the, the praise that was heaped on it was, it was really encouraging because, you know, we, I think we all saw it, it was working really, really hard, especially in the early stages of COVID. Absolutely. Well, that, that may have been transparent before COVID, but it was front and center as COVID started and it was recognized and appreciated. And that goes a long way when we start talking about the value of IT discussion. You know, you talked about Ed Burns a little bit. You talked about Randy Moody, Mark Wilson, of course, Chris Estes. Is there any through line? Is there any um, major theme among those folks or other folks? You talked about your parents and their mm. leadership of you, things you learned from them that um, – maybe a common characteristic? I, I think all of them are, are relationship builders at heart mm. and, um, you know, very customer service oriented people. You know, I, mm. I, I think, you know, if you really thought about it for your career too, Barry, there's so many influences. You named a yep. handful for me. There's 10 others. And I think especially early on in my career, I was very open to learning. And, mm. and wanted to be a sponge. Obviously, I needed to produce, but I did recognize that I, I could learn from really, really talented people. I, I want to give a quick story because I want to mention this person by name, too. Very early mm -hmm. in my career, I was working for Mark Wilson, and Mark was very successful. Uh, as a young recruiting assistant, there was a guy named Jack Sparks that worked in our office. No reporting structure where I reported to him. I wasn't supporting him in any way. But, um, you know, he's probably, you know, five or 10 years out from retirement. So our age different was pretty great. Mm -hmm. But he took the time to talk to me and talk through things and really support me and my career and my, my journey. But more importantly, just my learning. And he, had, he didn't have to do that. Mm -hmm. And I will always admire him for that. Because, you know, I think it's, 
you know, we, we talk about giving back, you know, especially later on in our, my, my career, you know, how do we give back? He was giving back way back then before I even recognized it. And I right. probably appreciate it a hell of a lot more now than I did 30 years ago. And I appreciated it a lot back then. Right. And he, so Jack Sparks um, was a big part of my career, but common themes back to your original question. Um, there's a lot and there's, but there's also a lot of differences. And I wanted to point this out too. I've learned a lot from my mentors, but I think there's also an opportunity to learn maybe what not to do or the ways that you would do things differently. Right. And, and I, this is something that I've, I've told a lot of interns and folks along the way is you can learn from mentors, but you also have to have your own style. Mm, yeah, you, yeah. you have to, you have to be your authentic self. You don't, you shouldn't mimic somebody else because when you do, it's not going to be as authentic as it, as it should be or could be. Mm -hmm. So, so take those learnings, apply it to you and your personality. And I think that's when you really start to, uh, uh, learn and grow your career and figure out who you are and how, how you're going to best fit into an industry and how you're going to progress. That's such a great lesson. You know, as we say down here, that'll preach. Let, let's talk about, uh, in our third section, um, as we close up the view from here. Um, so areas of focus for you, uh, things that you've got on the horizon in the short and maybe midterm, um, what are, what are priorities for you? Yeah, I think so. Priorities are probably going to be mostly centered on cybersecurity. You know, I, I, this it is so complex, and this you know detect and defend mode that we're in now. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a coming back to center. You know, I think we were so operationally focused for so very long in IT that we're having to play a little catch up on not only kind of data and data privacy, uh, but more specifically cybersecurity. I think mm -hmm. it will be fascinating to see where IT goes in the next few years. You know, we've seen so many changes, even in the last four or five years, I think. Chief data mm -hmm. officers, chief privacy officers, um, cybersecurity, um, well, specifically CISOs that I think are becoming more and more peers to CIOs in a lot Absolutely. of ways. The profile mm -hmm. for CISOs have changed uh, considerably in the last four or five years. And the demand for CISOs, I think, is incredible. So I think mm -hmm. structure of IT is going to be interesting in the next few years and how that uh, transpires. But how do we keep people trained, retain them, um, have a, you know, a healthy enough culture that they don't want to look and don't want to leave, especially now that remote is such, a, such an option? How much mm -hmm. does remote become part of the equation or stay part of the equation? I think is going to be really interesting questions. Um, somebody in Greenville, South Carolina, that can work remotely for somebody in Chicago, you know, that, that opened up a lot of different possibilities, right? And I think right. when those possibilities open up, rates and salaries go up. So there's there's a lot I think that's going to transpire over the next few years that I'm not nearly smart enough to figure out what they all are, <laughs> but it's going to be, it's going to be fascinating. And I'll be retired when most of it actually hits. I think so. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I, there's a lot of dynamic, um, 
things happening in that space. In fact, um, we have a client in the greater Raleigh area that is a hundred percent remote. They have a thousand employees and we've hired people for them, uh, the last four months from Salt Lake and Colorado and Maryland. And they're just like, you know, we'll pay these people. Great. We'll give them a great setup. They've, they've got it dialed in as they say, and they never have to come to North Carolina to meet with them. And so it's opened up the door for just mm-hmm. so much. So it's, it's really, it, for me, you know, used to be in the office five days a week all the time. You know, when mm-hmm. I started my IT career is it's a whole different game. Um, so for you personally with your organization, I mean, uh, what are some things, are there leadership initiatives? Um, you talked about retention and training and that kind of thing. Are there, are there things that, Hey, I want to get these things done besides the functional technology stuff that we talked about a second ago? Yeah, from my seat, I, I want to make sure that we are getting all of our institutions to common baselines for cybersecurity. This is not a one and done thing with cybersecurity. So I'm going to say that a lot over the, the next, probably until I retire, is it's going to be, there's going to be a lot of focus on finding that right balance between operations and security, finding the right balance on compliance versus true security. I'll say true mm-hmm. security. Um, so there's there's going to be a lot of needed attention when it comes to that. And it's going to need direct leadership. Um, but we also got to keep the trains running, right? So it's it's a very, it's going, it, it will continue to be an interesting balance. And I think it's, it we'll get there. And then, of course, you, get, you layer on all the typical things that you're going to hear is uh, data. What do we do with our data? Um, you know, where, what does our cloud strategy look like? You know, I mean, so there's, there's some really big ticket items in there as well, but, um, you know, ERP, is there an ERP transition in our future? Everybody's got to be thinking about these things. I'm not saying there is, um, but, you know, it's things that we have to keep an eye on and Mm -hmm. we'll, and we'll continue to do those. So, yeah, it's, it's kind of a, uh, a really interesting balance between, you know, where we go kind of more from the innovation side versus how do we keep it secure? Started your career in corporate or commercial side supporting government. And then now you're um, working for the UNC system office. So what is your commercial experience in the various roles that you had? What does that provide to you now that you're on the other side of the table? Like we talked about. At the end of the day, I don't think it's that much different. You know, I, I, um, I, I think everybody makes a big deal about, hey, it's uh, public sector versus commercial. You know, I think uh, I've worked with some really talented folks on the commercial side. I've also worked with some really talented, brilliant people on the state government and IRS side. Mm-hmm. Um, I just think the structures are different, right? I think uh, the speed of decision making may be a little bit quicker on the commercial side. Uh, mm-hmm. I think on state government side, I think it is certainly more kind of governed decision making, you know, a lot more committees and work groups to come up with the right, you know, studies to come up with the right decisions. You know, I think, I think commercial may be a little bit more willing to take a risk, right. And make a mm-hmm. quick decision, mm-hmm. um, uh, you know, fail fast, you know, approach to innovation. And I think that's where Chris was going with the Innovation Center is trying to move that needle 
to where we could be innovative, we could fail, and we could celebrate failure, learning mm-hmm. from those failures and move on, which was a key tenet of the Innovation Center. Um, we're getting there, right? And I think that you know that gap is closing, but I don't think there's as many differences as most people think, right? Mm. It's, um, yeah, I, I've I've enjoyed working in both environments, but yeah, I, I really do enjoy state government and now the university system. That's a great, unique perspective. Um, so let's transition uh, as we end up. I, I know you're, uh, you talked about some of your influences earlier. So tell me about giving back and um, how you want to help um, the community, the next generation. You talked about interns. What, what's your what's Keith Warner's perspective on that as you um, are at the place where you can affect some change in the organization that you lead? Yeah, I, I think it's a great question and it's a tough one. Um, I think we all look for opportunities where we can give back. And but I think the best way for me is to work with, uh, you know, young upcoming IT professionals. Uh, provide advice and hopefully, you know, in a small part doing this podcast is, is a way of giving back to maybe some of those younger IT professionals that are entering into their career. And, you know, I, I enjoy just sitting down and, and talking about career path. You know, do you go the CTO route? Do you go the CIO route? Do you go the CISO route? Right. Mm-hmm. Cause that's, that's new. Uh, now we got chief data officer, chief privacy officer. So we all have all of these roles. So being intentional about where you want to go with your career. So back to your question, I think the best way I can give back is continuing to talk to, you know, IT professionals, aspiring leaders in, in the IT world. Uh, and usually that's interns. That's, uh, you know, folks that I get an opportunity to speak in front of. I really enjoy doing that. I think it's, uh, you know, hopefully it helps them kind of think and be intentional about where they want to go. Mm-hmm. But it, it's it's tough. I, you know, outside of giving kind of professionally, I think you know that I coached uh, baseball mm-hmm. for several years, mm-hmm. and I that was something I tremendously enjoyed. And I would encourage, you know, people that are looking for those leadership roles to take on some responsibilities in the community lead initiatives within the community. Um, it is a great way to learn and grow, uh, which also improves your professional leadership, right? Dealing with, uh, you know, kids as you coach and dealing with the parents of those kids. You know, I, I learned some great lessons from, from those environments. Mm -hmm. And it's fun. Well, anything else you want to share with, uh, our listeners uh, before we kind of wrap up uh, this afternoon, I guess now. I, I can't think of anything, Barry. I think, uh, I think you asked a lot of really good questions and uh, hopefully this is helpful to those, those listening. Well, I, I certainly appreciate your time and um, you know um, you know, you're one of those mentors for me and uh, Keith Warner, thank you for being part of uh, tech leaders talk and uh, we will look forward to following your career uh, going forward. Thank you. Thanks Barry. Great talking to you. Thanks for joining us today on the Tech Leaders Talk podcast. Learn more about our show at techleaderstalkpodcast.com and follow us on social media. We are Tech Leaders Talk podcast on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. 
And we're on Twitter at TechLeadersPod. Subscribe to our show wherever you get podcasts. And please share this episode with at least one person in your life who would benefit. Until next time, tech leaders, keep talking.